0: This recording that I'm making for you is part three of a series, as it turns out, which is showing examples of working the works of God by believing the word of God. This all ties in with the scripture where Jesus said in John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29, rather, where they came to Jesus and asked him what they were to do to work the works of God. And in verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he has sent. For us, This is the work of God that we believe on that which God says by his spirit. It can be a scripture that he tells us what to do, or it can be a concept. Here we go. We have a problem. There's a problem that arises as we live in this life. And we turn to God and say, what are we supposed to do about this? And we wait for the answer from God. And the Holy Spirit brings us what we're supposed to do. It can be a scripture or it can be a concept. And these are examples of this subject. What do we do to work the works of God? And Jesus says, you believe on him whom he has sent. That is the work of God. To believe, I was born again in 1975 and during the next 40 years God spoke to me many times by his Holy Spirit who brought information to my mind concerning the situation of this present life. Here are some examples. December 6th twenty eighteen. I lived in Lubbock, Texas, and I lived alone. In the night I fell in the hallway about six feet from my bedroom. I fell on a tile floor. I knew I was badly injured. I felt my hip was probably broken, my left hip. And my my hand was so doubled back from my wrist I knew it was broken. It went completely back from my wrist. When the ambulance driver saw it, he said, Ooh, I don't like looking at that. It was exactly back from my wrist, totally broken back. So in the night, I fell in the hallway, and I was about six feet from my bedroom. I lived alone at that time. I was badly injured. I managed to roll my body onto my right hip. I was sure the left hip was broken. And I started trying to crawl to the bedroom where there was a phone on the nightstand. My goal was to pull on the phone cord and get the whole phone to call, fall on the floor. Then I would have the receiver where I could call for help for I could not stand up to get to the top of the table where the phone was. And this is my goal. So I started inching my way toward the bedroom. It was incredibly painful. I just couldn't do it. There wasn't going to be anybody coming to my house for the next eight days. So if I couldn't get to something to call for help, I was going to be lying on that tile floor for the next eight days, and I felt I would die. But I heard from God by His Spirit, and what I heard is, you can do this. And because of that word that I heard, I was able to inch my way down that tile floor And get to that phone. Only because of what I'd heard from the Spirit of God was I able to get there. I would start trying to move that way and it was so painful I would almost pass out. And then I would remember that word, you can do this. Over and over that happened, and it took me four and a half hours to reach that phone. When I reached it, I pulled on the phone cord. I was on the floor. I pulled on the phone cord, and the phone fell off the table, but it squirted someplace where I never saw it again, the receiver to the phone. I I didn't even see it. It wasn't even in sight so it went someplace else in the bedroom. But there was one other thing. A Kindle tablet was sitting under that table where the phone was sitting. It was recharging, and it was sitting under the table. If I could get to the Kindle tablet, and if I was able to send an email, I might get help. I was almost unconscious, and I only had one hand to use in dealing with the Kindle tablet. I was able to inch my way another two or three feet and get my hands on the Kindle tablet. I managed to pull up a previous email that somebody in our church group had sent me. I managed to get the names of our church group, some of our church group, on the tablet. And I sent three times, I sent an email asking for help because I wasn't sure that I was getting the first email through. It was extremely difficult. My email said, Have fallen? Help. Send ambulance. Our church group is scattered all over the United States because they were the former radio audience. And only one of them lived in Lubbock, Texas. By the time I got the email sent, it was probably 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning because I fell in the middle of the night. I heard then about 30 minutes after I sent the email, I heard someone trying to get in The front door of my house. So I relaxed. It was the ambulance workers. What had happened is Pam Padgett in Colorado Springs, uh, uh, 450 miles from where I lived in Texas, had gotten the request for the ambulance but she couldn't call 911 and get an ambulance sent so she called the Lubbock Police Department and told them what had happened and asked them to send an ambulance immediately to my house. As the ambulance workers had me on the gurney, rolling me to the ambulance, we passed the front door of my house and I heard again from God. And this is what I heard, the Holy Spirit bringing this to my mind. You'll never see this house again. The Holy Spirit was showing me things to come. John chapter 16, verse 13. And he will show you things to come. That's one of the things the Holy Spirit does for us. John chapter 14, verse 26. John chapter 16, verse 13. Have four things that the Holy Spirit does for us. Jesus says, when he comes he will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything Jesus has said to you. And then in verse, John chapter 16, verse 13, he will guide you into all truth and he will show you things to come. Well, he was showing me things to come when he said to me, as the ambulance worker rolled me on a gurney past the front door, he said to me, you will never see this house Again, At that time, I'm about 80 years old. I've had lots of experience with God. I trusted God. If I wasn't going to see that house again in Texas, God had another plan for my life, and I knew or felt it would be even better than the plan I was living under where I was living, it was going to be even better. So it didn't trouble me one bit to hear I would never see that house again. I spent the next two and a half years, uh, months, I'm sorry, two and a half months, God forbid, years, two and a half months in rehab hospitals in Lubbock, Texas. And during that time, God worked it out for me to move to Colorado and live in the home of Pam Padgett. It was much better than living alone in the house in Texas. I didn't regret anything at all about moving to Colorado. In fact, I'm thankful constantly to God that I got to move to Colorado. It's cool in Colorado, it's hot in Texas. You get to open the windows in the summer in Colorado. You can't open the windows at any time, hardly, in Texas, where I lived. We have mountains. It's beautiful. I lived in West Texas. It was totally flat and dirt. I used to get so tickled when I'd watch local news because the station I watched, they would start off the program by saying, now this is the view from the top of the hotel looking north. It didn't matter what way you looked. It was flat. I loved the years I lived there. But this is much better. We live in Colorado Springs, and the Rocky Mountains are just a few miles away from where we live. And you can, they're majestic. Pikes Peak is fantastic. The Rocky Mountains where we live are beautiful. It's much better than anywhere I've ever lived in my life because Pam has a house that's on one-third of an acre that used to be backed up to the golf course. They had to close the golf course, but there's all this open space between you and the next house, and this is the first time in my life I've ever lived anywhere place where you didn't hear the neighbors. It's wonderful. I knew it was going to be better than anywhere than I had ever lived because of this. God told me, you'll never see this house again, and it didn't frighten me because God has taught me instead of making my own plans to trust him, he'll make my plans, and he'll do a much better job with it than I would do. So I've learned that during the years. Another thing, I live with a member of the body of Christ. Pam is, uh, she never troubles me almost never if she does trouble me I pray but she almost never troubles me why because she turns to God when there's a problem she doesn't turn to me with a problem she turns to God and when she hears what to do she does it and then there's no problem and then sometimes she will tell me there had been a problem But God told her to do this or that, and when she did it, there was no longer a problem. Now, if God told her to turn to me, she would do it. But most of the time, he just gives her the solution to the problem. This is the way we're supposed to live. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing. Now a problem surfaces, and of course we're gonna panic at first, but then we're gonna remember that in everything by prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. It's not let your request be made known unto your mate, let your request be made known unto your church, let your request be made known unto your pastor. It's let your request be made known unto God. Pray. And then it says, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, the word that you have received from God after you pray. We live this way. The only way you can live in peace on this earth is by doing this. When the problem arises, you turn to God, help me. You turn to God saying, please don't let this happen. And you let your request of what you would like to happen be made known to God, but he may do substitute something that's even better than your request. And you wait until you've heard, on, heard from God. It is not that we search the scriptures to try to find out what to do. There is a scripture which says, you search the scriptures, but you refuse to come to me. Well, what we're supposed to do is there's a problem. We ask God for help. He reminds us either of a scripture or a concept He uses the Holy Spirit to remind us, to bring it to our minds. And then we go that direction, doing that which is appropriate to the situation. That's being led by the Spirit of God. And Romans chapter 8, verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. See, so many people, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. And Paul says, turn away from them. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul said in the last days perilous times would come because men would be lovers of their own selves. And Paul gave a whole list of things that men would be in the last days causing this perilous time. And then Paul said, they have a form of godliness. What is that form of godliness? They love their church buildings. They love their stained glass. They love the carved wood of the altars where the minister speaks to the group. But they do not delight themselves in the scriptures. They love the choirs. They love all of the form of godliness that they have in their minds, the appearance of godliness but they deny the power, which is the Scriptures. We, on the other hand, love the Scriptures. And that shows you the difference between the real church that is born again, who has the Spirit of God living in them, and Antichrist, who is in the church, big time. Before Jesus returns for the church, Paul said, there had to be a falling away first, and God said to me, that falling away are not people leaving the church. The falling away are the churches leaving the scriptures. Second Thessalonians 2. And as they leave the scriptures, the man of sin surfaces inside the church. And that's Antichrist. And he sits in the temple of God. And he shows himself that he is God. But he's opposite to God because... He doesn't want to follow specific scriptures, such as the man who married the divorced woman commits adultery. That's Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. And Jesus said to the men, don't put away your wives, don't divorce your wives. If they're faithful, if you have a faithful wife and you divorce her, she will remarry and you will be the cause of her adultery. She will commit adultery. If she remarries the faithful wife. But you're going to be the cause of it. Now I'm quoting from a couple of scriptures. Matthew chapter 5 verse 32. I'm also quoting. From 1 Corinthians 7. Down toward the end of the chapter. Verse 39. Paul is speaking now to the New Testament church. And he is giving us rules from God to put in as he was writing an epistle to the Corinthians which God used as the holy Bible so when I read this to you remember this is for the New Testament church the New Testament church today first Corinthians chapter 7 verse 39 The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. Now, let me tell you what they're teaching in most of the churches that I've been to. They're teaching that we don't go by the law anymore. Therefore, this scripture doesn't have to be you don't have to observe this scripture well they pervert it see we don't go by the law of Moses where they sacrificed animals for the trespasses of sin Jesus paid his blood which negated the law of Moses in Leviticus but we go by the law of God in the New Testament church There are many rules God set forth in the New Testament church, and this is one of them. The wife is bound by the law of the New Testament church as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. So they of the Antichrist in the churches says, we don't go by the law anymore. Therefore, you can divorce and remarry as a woman. This scripture no longer applies. But that's Antichrist changing the scripture. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. This is a rule, a law of God for the New Testament church presented by the apostle Paul In 1 Corinthians 7, and all scripture is inspired by God. Let's read just a couple of more scriptures in 1 Corinthians 7. Verses 10 and 11. Now in this, Paul specifically says, this is a commandment of the Lord for the New Testament church. 1 Corinthians 7, uh, verse 10. Paul says, And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. This is a commandment of the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. Matthew 5:32. Jesus says, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. There was a man in our church group. I found out that he had filed papers to divorce his wife. He lived in Detroit, Michigan. I lived in dallas texas this was radio audience we're scattered all over the united states so i called him and i said joseph has your wife been committing fornication and he said no and i said well you filed divorce papers against her and fornication is the only scriptural reason that you have in the situation and i read to him this scripture Jesus says that whosoever shall put away his wife, divorce his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. If she goes out and commits adultery, you're going to be the cause of her adultery because she was a faithful wife. And whosoever that marrieth her that is divorced committeth adultery. Now this is not what they're teaching at any church I've ever been to. They're saying things like, of course you can remarry. God loves you and wants you to marry. Be happy. God wants you to be happy. And they are using that to approve all forms of divorce and remarriage, which Jesus said the opposite. That is Antichrist in the church. And what do you do if the church group you're in is teaching something opposite from what you see in the Bible? Well, I can tell you what I did. As a new Christian, my best friend said, you've got to go to church. I said, I do? She said, yes. So I went to the church that she and her husband went to. It was a non-denominational church in Dallas. The pastors that taught in that church were professors at Dallas Theological Seminary. They were teaching, a, at the time I started attending that church, after I was born again, the subject they were teaching in the form of a series, they were saying tongues are of the devil. Well, I really didn't care about tongues. I, that's the first time I'm sure I've ever, I'd ever even heard of a tongue. And I didn't know anything about these things. I just sat there and They talked. One day, I was reading the Bible, and I came across the following scripture. In 1 Corinthians 14, the last verse of that chapter, verse 40, the Apostle Paul said, Let all things be done decently and in order. And in verse 39, he said, Wherefore, brethren... Covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. And I saw that the church I was attending, where they were forbidding tongues and teaching that tongues were of the devil, they were doing exactly opposite from what the apostle Paul said to do in the Bible. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. I never went back to that church. I told my best friend one day, we were in the car driving, she was driving, and I said to her, I said, hey Donna, did you know that Paul said to forbid not to speak with tongues? She just pulled the car over to the side of the road, stopped it, and said, where is that in the Bible? And I had a little New Testament in my purse, so I pulled it out and showed her. And she said, but at church they're telling us tongues are of the devil and they're forbidding it. And Paul said, forbid not to speak with tongues. So we went to her house where she had all these translations of the Bible. She said, let's go look this up in all these other translations. In every translation that she had, NASB, NIV, in every translation, it said the same thing. In First Corinthians chapter 14, verse twenty thirty-nine. Covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. And I said to Donna, I'm not going back to that church. And she said, Well, I'm not going to go either. Now that's what you do when you see in the church that you're attending, when you see them teaching opposite to what the Bible says, they're antichrist. Don't go there. How can you go there? Just leave. Obey the scriptures. Follow the scriptures. When I lived in Lubbock, I went to a dinner sponsored by Texas Tech Museum Group. They had assigned seating. As I entered the room and found the place I was to sit, I was horrified because next to me A man was sitting next to me who was wearing the biggest cross around his neck that I have ever seen. That cross, it was wooden, and it had to have been six inches long. I'd never seen anything that long before in the form of a cross. I knew this was going to be trouble. I sat down beside him. He immediately announced that he was the former pastor of Indiana Street Baptist Church. And he began talking about something. He said, oh, we have such a problem at our church. Well, with that, everybody at the table looked at him wanting to know what the problem was at the church. He said, oh, we've built onto the church three times and we still can't seat all of the people who are trying to come to church. So many people are trying to come to church. That was his problem. He was basically just wanting to tell how great it was at his church, but he identified it as being a problem. I spoke up and said, Well, if you would do what Jesus says in Matthew 5.32, if you would teach that, You'll have no problem at your church because Jesus says, The man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, if you will teach the men in your congregation, if you marry a divorced woman, you commit adultery, about half of the congregation will get up and leave you, and you will no longer have the problem of seating the people at your church. His mouth fell open. What did I do? I fled. I left before the dinner was served. I was not going to sit next to a man like that and have dinner. These are Antichrist people, and before the Jesus returns, the churches will get worse and worse and worse, casting aside certain scriptures and setting up another doctrine to please men, to get large crowds at their churches. We see it all the time, all the time. Let me give at least one more example concerning working the works of God, believing the word that has been brought to us by the Spirit of God. March 2020. I had put the house in Texas on the real estate market in December 2018 and the house did not sell for the next year and a half. I just kept praying every time I would think of that house, I would pray that God would help us sell that house. A year and a half passed. March 2020. March 11th, 2020 something totally remarkable happened that got our attention. The basketball tournament March Madness was totally canceled. All sporting events were canceled. Television told about all these sporting events that were canceled because of this disease called coronavirus. I believe that's about one of the first times that I heard of coronavirus i had heard there was some disease that was uh, donald trump described it on his on a newscast once as that disease from china well that was coronavirus march 11th it became vivid to me in the united states because they had just canceled the most important tournament of the entire ncaa basketball season. Everything shut down on March 11th. No more Major League sports on television. I'm not a basketball fan. I'm not a baseball fan. I watch football. But football season had already ended. And basically, I'm sure I was thinking, I'm glad it's not football season. They might cancel our football games. But it got my attention. And then another thing happened strongly on March eleventh All of a sudden, businesses began closing. They showed Times Square and there was in New York City, and there were no people in it. I've been to New York City I've seen Times Square. There were no people. there were no cabs on the highways. New York City is typically covered with yellow cabs on the streets. The streets were empty the people were there were on the sidewalks. New York uh, New York City is packed hugely packed on the sidewalks with people. I've been there twice and it is really crowded in New York City and here was nothing. It looked like it looked like there'd been some kind of nuclear explosion and everybody just disappeared. Well, I people were terrified everywhere over this coronavirus. I would watch the newscast, and I I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Here I've got a house in Texas that hasn't sold for a year and a half. I can't really tell you that coronavirus was terrifying me as much at that point in time as the house in Texas. Putting it together, if they have this coronavirus happening, Who's going to want to buy a house at that period of time with such unknown circumstances happening in the future? So I prayed an effectual, fervent prayer. I called out to God, and I said to him, Is there anything you want me to do about that house in Texas? And instantly, by the Holy Spirit, he brought an idea to my mind. Put the house on a special sale for one week only and reduce the price. Immediately, I called my realtor and told her what to do. And she just thought that was great. She said, Can we do it for two weeks? And I said, Well, yeah, I guess so. But it sold in two days. Right in the middle of the coronavirus, I hear people all the time on national newscasts wanting help from the government. The government is their help. Ooh, I'd hate to be like that because God is my help. And God never fails me. In 40 some odd years, he's never failed me. He's shown me what to do in the problems that exist he's shown me how to handle it and it always worked God is our strength and power and he maketh our way perfect thank you for allowing me to speak this to you today.